Good morning, Gator Nation, and welcome back to the All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your host, Dustin Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. And as always, I'm joined by an All Kinds of Weather and lead writer, Neil Schulman, and you can follow him at All Kinds Weather. Before we dive into today's topic, which will be our pregame special for the Tennessee Volunteers coming into Gainesville on a primetime special in the swamp. Neil, I know our listening audience can't see you right now, but you are doing your best redneck impersonation. And might I say it's it's quite dandy considering we are playing the fighting rednecks in the out of the volunteers. Yeah, I got I got way more sun at PCB today than I bargained for. Um, yeah, it's it's that time of year, man. It's that time of year where the redneck jokes and the hillbilly jokes and whatnot yeah. come uh, come to the front of the timeline of social media because it's that time of year where them hated vowels are making their biennial trip to the swamp, a place where they have not won in six thousand five hundred. And by the time you hear this, 80 days. And here's going to be a chance for the Gators to tack on another, depending on when they play in 2023, another approximately 700-plus-ish days onto that count. Can't say I'm looking forward to watching Florida and Tennessee fans uh, intermingle. The last time that happened was... 2017 when I was there for the heave to cleave game it, it got kind of nasty where I was sitting but uh, the rest of the weekend should be great for a variety of reasons not the least of which is that it is the Gator Good Foundation game that incredible foundation that I am just so so thankful to be a part of is finally gonna have its big day it's the day it's really not our big day it's the, the big day of Ontario Jones a United States of America military veteran. Um, unfortunately, he was injured in a laser training accident while serving our country. And when doctors examined him in the aftermath of that, they discovered that he has a rare eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa, which will eventually take his eyesight away. But guess what? He's going to get to see his Gators play for the first time in his life. We we heard his story. We learned that he was a diehard Gator fan. His cousin was Gavin Dickey, and all he wants to do before his eyesight goes out is see his Gators play. And thanks to all of y'all who donated to our cause to help make this happen, it's going to happen this Saturday. Ontario Jones, you get ready for the best weekend of your life. Gator Nation, thank you so, so much for all your help. Um, and with that said, let's talk about – the details of the game that he's going to see. Dustin, we have a, a Tennessee team that I don't know if you want to call. Well, well, first, Neil, I, I know that we're both excited to quickly break down this game, but let me just say something. Um, I know that you are heavily invested in the Gator Good Foundation. And from my standpoint, I just want to let you know how, how happy I am that you and the entire team, the entire board, have put this much effort and, and time, and, and it's finally upon us. I know, uh, you know, joining this pod, uh, coming into the, the COVID season 
for the Gators. And, you know, we talked about the Gator Good Foundation, but we never actually got the chance to execute anything. Now we're finally, now the game is finally upon us where Ontario Jones um, gets to um, experience his Gator game. And, and uh, that's going to be super emotional to see his experience and to hear uh, his story and, and his his experience and I certainly hope the Gators put on a show for him and hopefully as we'll discuss later in this pod I hope that it's not just a show because it's a good game uh, and it this game really shouldn't be a good game um, for example the 2017 game it was an excellent game anybody that watched that anybody that, that wasn't a Gator fan and watched that game thought it was amazing I mean the heave to cleave um, I, ha- I happened to be in the stadium for that one, and and it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had uh, as a student in the, in the swamp. Um, but it really shouldn't have been that way. Uh, the Gators should have mopped the field, and they didn't. And we're coming into this game, and we'll break it down, but Tennessee and Florida are not at the same level. They're, they're not at the same tier. You know, Florida – is maybe one or two tiers below Alabama, who is the best team in the country. Um, Tennessee's by I'd far that not Florida even close. Is, is, I would say I don't know that that's really even true. I would say Florida is in that tier with Alabama. They lost the game, but I would say that they're in the tier with them as opposed wow. to being. Yeah, and look, I was the one criticizing them really heavily. I was. I, I was the one criticizing the coaches to, for taking 12 days on that last drive of the game where they finally scored a touchdown down two scores. Um, you know, I was the one saying missed extra points can't happen. They just can't happen. They just can't happen on and on and on. But watching that game a third time, um, they really are on that level with Alabama. So you, you want to talk about Florida and Tennessee not being on different levels. Tennessee fans were on message boards like all Saturday night and Sunday this past weekend saying, oh, my God, Florida's going to kill us. This is going to be terrible. This is going to be embarrassing. We're going to get humiliated. And, you know, quite frequently some uh, some some X-rated uh, expressions in there to just to further illustrate the depths of their concern about this weekend's game. So, yeah, I, I would make that distinction. And we, we certainly should mop the field with them. Tennessee and Florida are, are not in the same zip code, for lack of a better term. Tennessee doesn't look as bad as Florida State. <laughs> I had to get them in. I'm so sorry, Well, Jacksonville guys. State doesn't look as bad as Florida State. Yes, yes. That, that'll that'll uh, tie up your brain for a few minutes if you think about it. But look, Florida State's bad. Now, we will get into the validity of the Florida State rivalry in a few months, but in just a few days, we will be playing Tennessee. And Florida-Tennessee used to be one of the most storied rivalries in, in all of college football. I mean, we go back to uh, the Spurrier era. I mean... Georgia wasn't the team to beat. Tennessee was the team to beat for the SEC. So, Neil, you being our resident genius, um, where's the streak lie for for 
for Florida and Tennessee. So, so the streak for Florida right now is at four, unfortunately, because Jim McElwain was our coach and he yeah. let a twenty-one-three lead get away. But but it's like fifteen to. But it's not it's like right. So to 15, so right? it's four. The four straight to me is totally insignificant. It's it's four straight. It's fifteen of the last sixteen, and then get ready for this one. Tennessee has beaten Florida in nineteen ninety ninety two. 8, 01, 03, 04, and 16. That means that since 1971, since 1971, Tennessee has beaten Florida seven times. <laughs> That's it. That's <laughs> it. That is it. They have beaten Florida seven times, and Florida has beaten Tennessee 28 times. This series, because I refuse to call it a rivalry, this series is 28-7 Florida since the end of the Vietnam War. That is a winning percentage of 0.800. Four out of five over a sample size of 35 games. Florida's winning 80%. So I don't want to hear about rivalries. Oh, 2001 happened. Yeah, 2001 happened. That sucked. How about 28 of the other 34 times we played them since 1971? Like, people go, yeah, four straight, 15 out of 16. It's not like before 15 of 16, Florida was on the losing end of the series. Florida has won 28 of the last 35 games. This dominance goes back to 1971. Missouri has given Florida more trouble in the last decade than Tennessee has. South Carolina has given Florida more trouble than Tennessee has in the last decade. Vanderbilt and Kentucky have both beaten Florida as many times in the last decade as Tennessee has. This is not a rivalry. I'm sorry. I hate Tennessee's fans. I want to beat their team. I like watching people wearing that disgusting orange look miserable. I I get, I, I derive great pleasure from watching that. I don't, consider this a rivalry because Tennessee's beaten Florida one time since the Ron Zook era, and they've beaten us exactly seven times since the Vietnam War ended. So, no, sorry, not a rivalry. They, they have to beat us like five of the next six for me to even consider it. Well, Neil, we definitely hope that doesn't happen, and we know it's not going to happen. Florida and Tennessee are just – they're just on different playing fields right now. Um, now, Tennessee is certainly better than Vanderbilt. I'll give them that. Um, but grow, So let me just say this, and we'll move on. Now, living in Orlando, Florida, it is very evident to me how much UCF fans hate Florida. They hate Florida. And they... I've met UCF fans that have convinced themselves that Florida is a bigger rival to them than USF. Yes. Bigger rival to them than Florida state or Miami. They, they hate Florida more than any other team in the state. And it makes no sense whatsoever. That delusion is very similar to what we see with Tennessee fans. They have been dominated so much by the Florida Gators. They hate the Florida Gators. And 
this is to me, Neil, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is, this is what I would call a one-sided robbery. It may, quote-unquote, be a robbery in terms of what the opponent thinks, but for Florida, Tennessee's just another game. It's comparable to a Kentucky game, which actually may be even more of a robbery now. And we'll, we'll get to that when Florida plays Kentucky. But, I, I mean, I put – I don't think Tennessee's any more of a robbery now than Kentucky is or South Carolina is. In fact, those two teams have actually – have actually had more competitive games with Florida than Tennessee has. I mean, when Spurrier was the coach at South Carolina, South Carolina had some decent success against Florida. Kentucky, I mean, they, they beat Florida – a couple years ago, I mean, if I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Neil, but um, while an offensive coordinator and a head coach for the Florida Gators, Dan Mullins never lost to Tennessee. No, he has not, and only two times has it been close. His first two in '05 and '06 as the OC for Florida were those games even close? '07 was 59-20, '08 was 30 to six, and it wasn't that close. Florida went up 17 nothing and basically stopped trying. Then he left for Mississippi State. Comes back 18. It's a blowout. 47-21. It's not even that close. 2019 was probably the only game where the final score really reflected the 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 depths, the extent of the beatdown that Florida administered in 34 to three, and then. Last year, a game that Florida, again, went up big 31-3 and, or 31-7 and stopped trying and wound up winning 31-19. So it, it's not only Mullen's been undefeated, he's been unchallenged. He's been wholly untested against yes. Tennessee since his first two games as the OC. And really, if we're talking about rivals, Tennessee – and we're, we're going to move on after this. But Tennessee is probably seventh in line for the title of rival for Florida. There's, there's Georgia and FSU. There's, you know, I understand arguments for both sides. I say it's Georgia. Some people very legitimately say it's FSU. I can get that. Number three is LSU. After that bullshit in 2016 with hurricane Matthew, they're always going to be number three. Now Um, it weren't before it was more of a respect rivalry before then, but now they're firmly entrenched at number three. Uh, number four, I'd say, is Auburn. Florida has a very deep, rich history with them, and they are the closest school to Florida in the SEC. So a lot of recruiting battles are fought there, even if they don't play every year, which I wish they would. But anyway, they're four. Number five, I'd say, is Miami, another old rivalry that's, again, fought between two teams that fight for the same kids on the recruiting trail. I wish they'd play on the field as well. They're going to a couple times in 24 and 25, but Definitely a historical significance there. And number six is Alabama because we have played Alabama for 10 SEC championships. And that is by far the most common matchup in the SEC championship game. So when Florida and Alabama play, there's always something big time on the line beyond just bragging rights. So then I'd say Tennessee because there was a little stretch in the 90s. Florida dominated it, but there was a stretch in the 90s where Tennessee was a problem. And then there was 2001, the last real game of significance for both teams in the, in the series. So seventh in line, maybe eighth, you could say, because Eli Drinkwitz is, is, is quickly rising up the ranks of Florida fans is hate list. Um, but I mean, there's not much of a history there. So it's hard to just call them a rival, but seventh 
at best for Tennessee. So no, not, not a rival. Sorry. Yeah, Neil. So again, not to harp on this a ton, but it's just hilarious. Now that I think about it, you want to talk about, you know, a delusional fan base in UCF. Well, if you think about between the athletic director and Danny White and the head coach and Josh Heupel, I mean, those two are literally UCF transplants, literally, literally UCF transplants, the most delusional fan base in the country. And now they're, they're both at the helm at Tennessee. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they're like, it, it's, it's basically turned into the University of Central Florida North. Yep, UCF North. And uh, need I say that, that Tennessee has uh, joined UCF at the kids' table. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've well, Hey, look, uh, and this is the perfect segue into the actual game discussion. Danny white and Josh Heupel wanted their annual rivalry with Florida and they got it. Yep. They had to move to a different school to get it, but you know, try, try again. And eventually you will succeed. Yep. Here we home go. And away. Not even a neutral side game. It's home and away. Well, deal. After what we saw, in the matchup between Florida and Alabama, an offense in Alabama that, that I considered at least preseason as being one of the top offenses in the country. Um, we saw Florida defensive line that dominated Alabama's offensive line. Um, I, we did not expect Florida to have that type of domination on, on the line of scrimmage. So now as we talk about Florida's defense versus Tennessee's offense, I have to ask you, Neil, do you expect this, this same level of domination um, in this game with Tennessee? Give me the breakdown. So I expect it to be worse because Tennessee's offense has looked very suspicious in his first three games. The numbers aren't bad. They, they have 422 yards of offense a game, which is – you know, not terrible. It's better than Alabama's is. But then you look at the teams they've played. Pitt is the best of them, and that's a middle-of-the-pack ACC team. And then there's two cupcakes in there. So, I mean, in, in Bowling Green and Tennessee Tech. And against those teams that are supposed to be the number inflators, so to speak, like the teams that puff up your stats, they haven't looked so tremendous. And meanwhile, Florida, for all its struggles – with, with the QB position, Florida has only UCF, North Carolina, Virginia, Baylor, Utah State, Marshall, and Ole Miss sitting ahead of them. That means the Gators, despite their issues at QB, currently have the eighth most yards per game in the country. So we'll talk about the Florida offense in a second. But that means that if Florida is able to, despite its QB issues, do that, in, in quote-unquote struggling performances at 553 yards a game, and Tennessee can only put up 422, the, the suspicion grows. And then you watch the tape. Then there's the battle of their quarterbacks. It's not really a battle as much as wondering if Joe Milton is going to be healthy. Um, but the backup QB, Hooker, hasn't looked so great either. I mean, granted, he's making throws. He's got a 70% completion percentage, but – the tape doesn't really show a guy that's making good, quick decisions who's throwing passes that are on target because he does have a cannon, but 
Eh, accuracy, not so much. Same with Milton. And then the trenches, like where the games are won and lost, as we talked about last week against Alabama, their offensive line isn't really dominating the way it should against Tennessee Tech or against the Bowling Green. Like it's it's winning. It's it's not losing. It's not hurting the team in those games, but it's not just overpowering the cupcake opponents the way it's supposed to. So you're talking about is Florida going to look more dominant against Tennessee than Alabama? They, they better because this is a much weaker opponent. This is much closer to USF or FAU than it is Alabama. So Florida definitely has the advantage on paper here wherever you look. So translation, I expect Zach Carter to have a huge game. I expect Brenton Cox to, after after dropping that pick against Alabama, coming back with a vengeance, I think he'll have a big game. And I look for the secondary to have a big game because the passes from whoever is throwing the ball, whether it's Hooker or Milton, are not exactly accurate. So when the defensive front gets some pressure, I look for our guys like Kyer Elam and potentially even Avery Helm to come up with some big plays and get their name in the stat sheet with picks. Yeah, Neil, I would have to agree with you. I mean, when I think about Tennessee, I think about a team that tries to be balanced. Um, I mean, you look at their statistics and they thrown the ball for, for 597 yards. So about 600 yards and they've run about 670 yards on the season. So, yes, they are trying to be balanced. At the same point in time, you look at their averages. I mean, they, they average 4.6 yards per carry. Um, I mean, it's not terrible, but when you compare that to Florida's, I believe, 7.6 yards per carry, um, it's not even close. And you look at what Florida was able to do to Alabama. Florida held Bama's run game, the mighty Alabama Crimson Tide's run game to 3.3 yards per rush. That's insane. What what Florida's run defense is going to do to Tennessee, it's going to be ridiculous. Now, do I expect Tennessee to be held uh, 3.3 or less? Probably not, considering the starters are probably not going to be in the whole game. Um, In garbage time, I'm sure we'll give up some more explosive runs in the run game, unfortunately, like we've seen and toward the end of the game versus FAU and also uh, South Florida. Um, but this shouldn't be close. If it's close, it's because Florida just decides to take a game off, which you can't. My only caution to, to this game, and, and, I, and I'll say this, and then we'll, we'll jump in and talk about Florida's offense versus Tennessee's defense. But my only, my only thought is... In 20, please correct me, Neil, 2018, where Florida had lost to Georgia and we let a loss to Georgia turn into a loss to Missouri. Yeah, that was 2018. In the swamp. I was at that game. That was miserable. Miserable. Hence the term misery. Misery. But we'll, we'll get to that later in the season. Needless to say, we can't let that happen. You know, you have um, discussion from Kyrie Elam, from other defenders. Uh, you know, Zach Carter posted on Twitter. Obviously, the game against Alabama hurt. I don't care if you only lost by two points to the number one team in the country. 
it hurts. It's a loss. There's no more victories in in sports. Football is not horseshoe. Almost doesn't count. You have to win games. And there's zero margin for error the rest of the season. And this is a team that believes they can win a national championship this year. So if that's the case, a team that is going to win the national championship is a team that is going to beat Tennessee by 30 or 40 points. And that starts on defense. If you're going to do that, you have to hold Tennessee to less than 10 points. You have to. Well, I don't know that I'd be so binary as to say they have to hold Tennessee to 10 points for a bunch of reasons, not the least of which is that Florida always, almost always against inferior opponents, gives up the backdoor cover and with their backups in the game and their scout team in the game, kind of let the other team take the slow vote to China way down the field, run off a lot of clock and maybe score two late touchdowns when they're down five so that a 49 to 14 game can turn into 49-28 when it's all said and done. But essentially, you're right. We have to stymie this Tennessee offense or it does not bode especially well for the rest of the year. And it leads me, certainly, and other people, I'm sure, to wonder, well, is Alabama just a fluke? Did we just get up for that one game? And maybe we will survive a sub- optimal effort defensively against Tennessee. But how do we know that when the competition gets a little better, like maybe Kentucky or maybe even Missouri, how do we know that that's not going to cost us? So we have to get into the habit of playing up to our potential, not down to our opposition. So Neil, enough of our discussion on Florida's defense, let's talk about Florida's offense. Now I know we've already mentioned this on previous pods, but Florida still has, at least from a statistical standpoint, they look to have one of the most prolific rushing attacks in the country. I mean, even looking at what Florida was able to do against Alabama in their, in their quote-unquote beast of a run-stopping defense, I mean, Florida was still able to get 245 yards on the ground. I, I don't think that Florida is going to take any steps back um, as they bring that rushing attack into the swamp again in this primetime matchup. Neil, I mean, I think Florida is going to run all over Tennessee. I think it's going to start with Damian Pierce, and it's going to go on through Naquan Wright and Malik Davis and toward the end of the game. We'll, we'll see some explosives from Demarcus Bowman and, and Lorenzo Lingard. That's my thoughts. What do you think, Neil? I think it's pretty hard to predict anything other than that. Uh, the one, I I won't even say like a stoplight. The one like yellow light I see is that Tennessee does have a good statistical rush defense. Um, I think it's actually fifth best in the country in allowing about 54 yards or so a game. But then that's where you realize, okay, who did they play? Well, Tennessee Tech, they played Bowling Green, and they played Pitt. And Pitt's not even that good, but they did beat Tennessee. So then you realize, well, Florida's offensive line is much better at run blocking than it has been in previous years. So, and oh yeah, and Tennessee, by the way, doesn't have, say, a Derek Barnett or Robert Ayers or someone on that line. They don't have that monster. They don't have a Zach Carter, for that matter, on their defensive line that can just wreak havoc and just cause all kinds of problems Florida should run for at least 
150, if not more. Um, and the only reason I would say 150 and not like 200 is because I think this is the game where we're going to see Florida try to develop something of a passing game, which they're going to need, not to the extent that they, that they had last year, but they're going to need something through the air if they want to be a real player for the SEC East. So Florida will have its way offensively here. To me, this is just about can the receivers develop some real separation from Tennessee secondary? Can the offensive line show that last week was not a fluke? It was not them playing on pure adrenaline. It was, okay, this offensive line is actually better than it was last year. They're going to be consistently better, and they can do it week to week. And this is going to be about Emory Jones showing that he can be trusted to not make a bad mistake. I mean, interceptions are going to happen when a throw sails high by about a foot or so. Uh, You know, you make the right read or – you know, the ball gets tipped. Maybe it's just behind the receiver. He could have caught it, but you threw it a little behind him, so he just deflects it and it gets tipped and intercepted. Like, those kinds of picks are going to happen. I want to see the bad picks go away, the ones where he's going to get sacked, but he's determined to throw it, and he just heaves a turkey into triple coverage. Like, those have got to stop if he is going to be the guy for Florida moving forward this year. So I'm looking for Florida to play a smart and fundamentally sound and high level of execution game. I am not at all worried about Tennessee personnel-wise defensively. The only reason Florida's offense doesn't hum like a machine is if they defeat themselves. And and you know what? Like I understand that that's exactly the kind of talk that leads to humongous upsets, but I'm sorry. I just finished the, the pit tape of Tennessee. There's no one on Tennessee's defense that I look at and say, Okay, this guy's a problem. We gotta we gotta watch him. Like there's no Jordan Davis on on that defense. Like there's no there's no one guy that I say, okay, we have to avoid that side or we have to double that one defense. I mean, there's no one that pops off the tape to me. So I realize that that kind of talk is what leads to upsets if the players start to adopt it, but I I just don't see anything that scares me. Yeah, Neil. Um I think that Florida is going to have their way both in the run game and the passing game against Tennessee. Now, I do think along with what you said that Florida will try to establish some sort of pass game, but at the end of the day, their identity this season is running the ball. Their identity is to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers at running back their, their identity is to get Damian Pierce and Malik Davis and Naquan Wright the ball and see what they can do. In the same way that last season, the identity of Florida was to get the ball in the hands of Kyle Pitts and, and Kadaris Toney and, uh, and even Trayvon Grimes. Just like we saw last year, the, the main playmakers were on the receiving end of the ball. And obviously when your receivers are playmakers, your quarterback's also going to look pretty darn good. I think this year it's about the running backs and about the quarterback. And Neil, so I'm not saying that we're not going to be able to throw the ball. I'm not saying that we're not going to need to throw the ball. I agree with you. If Florida's going to have any chance at beating Georgia um, or I think they're going to beat Georgia. Let's not get there yet. But if they have any chance at really going far in the S- in the SEC and then even in the playoff, assuming they get there, they're going to have to be able to have 
an identity on both sides of the offense, passing in and running the ball. Now, Neil, th- this leads me to this question. So, Emory Jones. Emory Jones played his best game of the year thus far against Alabama. And he looked more impressive during much of the game than he did in prior games, ironically, against much worse competition. Now, we have a game where there is some expectation. Now, we're not 100% sure. And by the time this pod comes out, there may even be more definitive answers as to what the game's going to look like from the quarterback situation. Of course, I'm referring to Anthony Richardson having the opportunity to play. We saw against South Florida and we saw against FAU that Anthony Richardson was the best player on the field at offense. And ironically, he didn't really get much snaps in either of those games, relatively speaking, at least. So, Neil, I have, to, I have two questions for you. My first question is, do you think that Anthony Richardson will play? Not should he play, but do you think, do you think he's going to play? And number two, I have to ask you, Neil, I, I think that it actually helped Emery in his mental approach to the game that he knew that he was the quarterback, that he knew that if he made a mistake, that he wouldn't have another quarterback looking over his shoulders. Do you think it would actually help the Gators in this game against Tennessee for AR to be held out as simply an emergency quarterback for one more game? Um, I think it would help the team against Tennessee. I don't think it would help the team in the long run. I think it would give Emory Jones the confidence he needs to go out and play, you know, I don't want to say carefree, but certainly stress-free and nerve-free. But then again, if you do that, then do you go into Kentucky doing the same thing? Do you then go into Vanderbilt, LSU, Georgia doing the same thing? Like you can't keep up the pretense that AR-15 is just there for decorations forever because at some point he's going to be running at a hundred percent. And I have been told by people at practice that he is much closer to it this week than he was last week. And I think other people, I don't, I don't know if other people have reported it behind paywalls or not, but I mean, the buzz is he is looking better this week than he was last week. So at some point, Emery's going to know like, all right, like, like Emery's not an idiot. He's going to see AR running at full strength. He's going to see him taking reps at practice is going to say, okay, yeah, the guy's healthy. Whether Mullen says it or not in any public fashion is irrelevant. I see this guy is looking good, so, you know, I got to just start playing better. At some point, you can't say, you know, AR is going to dictate if I play with nerves or not. At some point, you have to be the guy that just goes out and plays well, period. End of story, end of discussion. Like Chris Leak had – all those Gator fans booing him at one point in 2006 with Tim Tebow was sitting in the wings. He didn't decide, you know, Tebow is healthy or not. And that's going to determine whether or not I play without nerves. No, he just went out and did his thing. So I think it will help Emory against Tennessee in that sense. But at some point you got to take the training wheels off and you got to roll forward with what the situation's going to be long-term. Yeah, Neil. I, I certainly hope that we see a ton of Anthony Richardson against Tennessee, not only in 
mop-up duty after Florida's up by 25 or 30 points in the fourth quarter. But I certainly hope we resume our third quarter drive with Anthony, or third, our third possession of the game drive with, with Anthony Richardson. I think it's critical that we have our most explosive playmaker on the field and, and playing. I know it's quite ironic that our most explosive player is the backup quarterback, but that's where we sit right now. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's still, correct me if I'm wrong, Neil, but I think he's still the leading rusher for Florida. He is. It's now been narrowed because Damian Pierce continues to put up yards. He's still the leading rusher. Yeah. Um. I mean, ju- actually, just behind AR is, is Emory Jones at 232 yards. AR with 275 yards. But think about this. Emory Jones is a little bit behind AR, but Emory Jones also has four times as many carries. And Emory Jones has 42 carries on the season. I know some of that is, uh, well, he only has two sacks. So some of that is, is sacks, but only two of them. So really 40 runs to Anthony Richardson having 11 runs. I mean, Anthony Richardson has a whopping 25 yards per carry. Now, that's definitely been helped by a 75-yard touchdown run and an 80-yard touchdown run. But even beyond that, he's had some 10-yard gains and some 18-yard gains. The guy's explosive, so you got to have him on the field. And not to mention that, that Anthony's been pretty good throwing the ball. Now, I'm not going to sell out and say that he's the reincarnation of, of Tom Brady when it comes to throwing the ball. Um, I mean, he's, he's executed near perfectly in the past game in his limited three throws against South Florida. I mean, those, those all look great. But just think when he has 30 throws or 40 or 80 or 200 throws, will, will he have the same production? Probably not. But he's still pretty good in, um, in that phase, too. Well, there is a pretty obvious uh, counterpoint to that, Dustin. And, and, and for the record, I agree. I've said on this show before multiple times that I believe that Anthony Richardson will win the 2023 Heisman Trophy. It, it, it is with that high of regard that I hold him as a QB uh, in terms of potential, but he's not there yet. And the the obvious counterpoint to this our argument that you're making in favor of him is what Alex Shepard said on our podcast to preview Alabama a week ago, and that is that he's thrown a grand total of 11 passes, all against FAU and USF. FAU and USF are not exactly the caliber that he's going to have to make big plays against if he wants to be a national championship winning quarterback. It's a start. It's better than missing throws against those schools, but alone that doesn't really prove anything. And as Alex said, you know, if he throws the ball 39 times more than he, than he did, like he's throwing 11 passes. So if he throws 39 more times and hits 50 passes, how do we know that six or seven of them aren't picked off? And, and I, I played the other side of that in that podcast. And I said, well, Sure, that's that's very true. However, we've seen Emory Jones 
against FAU and USF. And we know what he's going to do because we've seen him do it against both of them. We saw him throw two picks against both of those teams. Should have thrown three picks against both of those teams. Each team dropped a third one or a would-be third one. And so my argument was that, well, the unknown with a sky-high potential is better than we do know. And what we do know is a mixed bag at best. But having said that, I, I'm just not a huge fan of, of hyping the guy up to be something that's really not fair to compare him to. How are you going to say that a kid who's thrown 11 passes so far in his college or, or this season, he threw a couple in the Cotton Bowl last year, but he's thrown 11 passes in, in real game action. How, how can you say he's going to be the next Cam Newton? Like, let's just sit back, relax. They'll watch. He he might be. He he could be. But I just I'm not a huge fan of hyping someone up to be that before they've they've done something against big time competition to prove that they merit that comparison. So we'll see. I do expect him to play at least in some capacity against Tennessee. But let's let's just watch and see, and then we can make more comparisons as the data rolls itself out to us. And the last thing I'll say about the offense before we move move on to the verdict, Tennessee's secondary is not great. It's allowing 211 pass yards a game. And again, that's against Bowling Green, Tennessee Tech, and Pittsburgh. Not exactly a gauntlet of SEC opponents. So Florida's receivers did not do very well at creating separation against FAU. They did okay against USF, and then against a much better opponent in Alabama, they also did okay. Not great, not terrible. They were okay. Tennessee's secondary should be food. Let's see this receiving core that's taken a lot of heat so far this year for not producing in the passing game. Let's see them exploit this secondary. 211 yards passing per game by itself isn't bad, but then there are all kinds of drop passes. There are bad throws. There are quarterbacks from Tennessee Tech and Bowling Green who don't see these receivers streaking open. So very, very misleading stat there. Um, Let's see these guys do their job of creating separation. Let's see that root running continue to get crisper every week. I've noticed that on tape. It started off really, really sluggish. Got a little better against USF. Got a little better against Alabama. So let's see it continue to get a lot better now. Let's see it take another big step forward against Tennessee. And let's see – I mean, I don't. I know Emery's not going to throw for 450 yards, but let's see him throw for, for 250 or 300 because this secondary is not especially fast. They're not especially aggressive. They might creep up and play some press coverage, but – Let's see these Florida guys. Let's see Justin Shorter, Trent Whittemore, the tight ends, Kimori Gamble, Keon Zipperer, um, and then, of course, Jacob Copen. Let's see these guys show out. And with that said, ready to make some predictions? Let's do it. All right. We're going to do our verdict. Uh, I'm going to take the hosting role this time. And, uh, Dustin, you're, you're first. So um, what is your key to the game? So, Neil, my key to the game is going to be the same thing that it always is until we, we finally get to the point where this isn't an issue. And, of course, Neil, it's – I always say turnovers, but I'm going to expand that thought to not just turnovers, but self-inflicted wounds. 
against Alabama, Big Bad Alabama. After this, I got to shut up because I probably, I probably talked about this for a total of two hours between the Twitter spaces, which, by the way, if you haven't already joined the In All Kinds of Weather recruiting handle on Twitter spaces, you definitely should. Um, there will be at least one coming between the release of this podcast and the Tennessee game, um, the Alabama post game, and even on Twitter. I've talked about the mental mistakes. I've talked about the interception, the missed interception opportunity, the 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 muffed uh, kickoff, um, the confusion on that. We can't have self-inflicted wounds. And do I think that self-inflicted wounds are going to hurt the the t- the final outcome of the game? Probably not. I mean, unless you just have an abysmal game unless I don't want to go there, but Florida cannot have self-inflicted wounds. We cannot be throwing interceptions. We cannot be missing opportunities to pick off the ball. These self-inflicted wounds can't happen. And that, so that's going to be my key to the game. And yeah, it's a, it's, it's a key to this game, but I'll just say this. It is a key to this game, but it's even more so a key to the season. We need to finally play a game where we're not making critical mistakes. Sure, Mistakes happen, but they cannot be critical. Sure, and they have to be limited, and they have to be few and far between. And they have to be be exceptions, not the rule. Yes. So my key to the game – Simple. Really simple. I'm still a bit in shock at how Florida dominated the trenches against Alabama. I want to see that again. I want to see Florida's offensive line own the trenches against an SEC team. That's not really good, but an SEC team nonetheless. I want to see that happen again because if it does, you don't need to have tremendous vision if you're a running back, you're going to get big holes and you're going to get to run through them and you're going to get some nice stats. So let's see the offensive line make what they did against Alabama a way of life. And let's see them do it again against Tennessee. So that's my key to the game. Um, You know what? Let's go player to watch for next. Um, I had thought that we were both going to say Emory Jones, but apparently you have a disagreement on that. So who who are you who are you looking for this Saturday? Zach Carter. I mean, Neil, it's no secret. Coming into the season, we both thought that Zach Carter would have a historic season. He has three sacks in the season. Um, but at this point, we both expected him to have like six or seven sacks. So I want to see Zach Carter absolutely tear through this Tennessee offensive line, and I want to see him have at least two sacks in the game, if not more. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that that's a fair one. It's got to be Emery. It's got to be Emery. It's got to be Emery Jones. He's got to not make those mistakes that he made on third and ten. you got to learn sometimes getting sacked and punting is not the worst thing in the world. Throwing an interception or fumbling and the other team recovers is – so let's see if he can learn 
how to limit those bad mistakes in the moment and just limit the damage in the heat of a very bad moment. So I'm not looking to see Emory Jones throw for a run for X number of yards. I want to see him play smart. I want to see him go through his progressions. I want to see him throwing the ball accurately. I mean, he missed uh, – there, there, there was a throw, I think, with 7.05 or so to go in the second quarter when Florida was down 21-3 and the fans started booing him, uh, which, by the way, I know I'm not a fan of that. I don't, I don't subscribe to, to booing the Gator players unless they – you know, unless they like, you know, get involved with gamblers or something. And for some insane reason, Florida lets them back on the field, then by all means, go ahead and boo them. But like short of that, I'm obviously not a fan of booing the Gator players, but I mean, that throw, like throws like that, you got to hit repeatedly, consistently over and over and over again in your sleep. If you're an SEC quarterback and I believe Jones can, he's just got to get the mental part of the game down so i want to see that so score prediction time dustin you and i and casey and um and ben and alex all picked florida to win this game easily in, in the preseason pod i don't suppose you've changed your mind but uh what do you think the score is so neil i don't recall exactly what number i put out in the preseason but Based on what we've seen thus far, especially with the Florida run game, I wouldn't be surprised that the number I'm going to put out now is an even bigger margin. I'm I'm thinking Florida's going to win 52 to 17. That's a lot of points. Yes. Um, there's look, there's no debating that if Florida had to win this game by five touchdowns, they could. They it like if Florida wants to win this game 52 17, they will. I don't think they do. I see more of a game where Florida's going to go up like 28 nothing or you know 35-3 or something and then like they have a history of doing under Dan Mullen against overmatched opponents, they'll stop trying and they'll just run the whole second half clock out. So Florida's going to win the game and it's not going to be close, but I don't I just Mullen doesn't do those ridiculous scores. So I'll say I'll say Florida 41-21. Wow. So, Neil, I actually just pulled up what we had predicted preseason. Your score preseason was 41-3. to So yeah. you're actually giving Tennessee more credit on offense. I'm, I'm, I'm giving them more <laughs> credit against our backups and our scout team on defense. Yes. That's, I mean, I don't think that if Florida's defense played the whole game, they'd score 21, but that's not going to happen. So I'll say 41-21, but in a game where Florida goes up, you know, 28 to 7 or something or 35 to 10 or something where the game is clearly not a contest and then they pull the starters and then they get some garbage time touchdowns like last year. Florida was up 31-7 last year and they let Tennessee score back-to-back touchdowns to end it. So, you know, again, USF this year, Florida's up 35-3. They stopped trying. Florida wins the game 42-20. to So, I mean, that's just the way Mullen operates. FSU in 2019, we can keep going. Florida's up 37-10, stopped trying. They win the game 40-17. to So, yeah, I mean, it's just example after example after example after example after example of Mullen getting the lead, pulling his starters, and just saying, let's go to next week already. You know what, Neil, I need to stop doing this, but you've convinced me. And especially with 
the uncertainty surrounding how much playing time AR is going to get um, or even if he's going to get some semblance of playing time. Um, I'm going to I'm going to bump my 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 score by seven points. So I'm going to go ahead and do 45 to 17. Now, okay. if something comes out and for our our uh, our pregame article, if something comes out and we we know for sure that AR is going to play um, between between this coming out Thursday morning and and that that article being released Saturday morning, um, I I reserve the right to change that a little bit, but yeah, I'm going to go with 45-17. All right. So Neil, that does it. We have. Of course, a game versus the Tennessee Volunteers, and it should be a fun one in the swamp. And as as we talked about earlier, um, I certainly look forward to seeing Ontario Jones have the uh, the Gator Good Foundation experience. And I know you're going to be smiling from ear to ear when uh, when you see him enjoy his game in the swamp. Well. I certainly hope that we enjoy the score that is on the scoreboard by the end of the game as well. With that said, to all of you that are listening, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. And I, I hope that you would certainly leave us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes or, or whatever platform you choose to listen to this on. And for Neil Schulman, I do want to say this. Go Gators and beat them balls. Good old Rocky Top, seventh in the SEC East. Rocky Top, Tennessee. Let's do it, boys. Let's beat them balls. Yep. Go do it. Go Gators. Beat them balls. Go Gators. <laughs>